The Premier League season may be over, but we still have the FA Cup final to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365 Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone and I'm joined this week by the writers for The Athletic, James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Hello, guys. Hello, Ian. Hi, nice to speak to you. Now, we were. Now, uh, Lee Dixon, sadly, is unavailable. We did try and get Mesut Ozil, but he's got a bad back. I think we need to start the intro again, Stone, because we've both been too nice to you, because usually Lee gives you some abuse in the in the, in the first hellos. So, no, no, no. Lee, I'm, James. I'm absolutely <laughs> fine with having an intro where people are nice to me. Although I should point out that I did put up a, uh, a post about a gig I'm doing uh, on Friday in Chelmsford in a car park. And uh, it, please do keep sending your dogging uh, Twitter uh, things in because it just amuses me endlessly. Um, but I put something up about how I can't, um, I can't give up comedy. Please come along. I can't give up because I have no transferable skills. And Lee Dixon then wrote back to me saying, if you take out the word transferable, I completely agree with that statement. But what he did, of course, was he put a little emoji on the end. Because if you insult someone and then put an emoji on the end, apparently that's not insulting. Cushions the blow, doesn't it? It, A little little winky face on the end of it. It's all fine. Only kidding. So I feel, Amy, like we should just carry on because I've been insulted by Lee, uh, but just, you know, through the week, which is He's fine. here in spirit. He is, he is definitely here in spirit with some of that dressing room banter. So um, we do have a cup final uh, coming up this week. I think there's a certain sadness uh, that we can't, we're not all excited about going and, and all the rest of it, but we're going to talk uh, quite a lot about that cup final in the next 45, 50 minutes. Um, we are playing Chelsea, of course, uh, so we thought we'd start with talking about our favourite moments against Chelsea, not just in the FA Cup, just generally. Uh, Amy, we'll start with you. I can't, as usual, <laughs> I've got a few, but quite interestingly, quite a few of them were all exactly the same scoreline in exactly the same venue. Um, and there was this flurry of three twos. Uh, at Stamford Bridge, which included obviously the very, very famous, uh, infamous, legendary Carnu hat trick. Um, but the two three twos that preceded that included l- very late winners uh, by Silvino and Nigel Winterburn. So very much the left back special. You might argue that late, although it was two two, Hector Bellerin moment coming from a fullback with a great goal had a kind of flavour of those games. But I think the one where Nigel Winterburn scored was the first of that group. And I've got very fond memories of that. You know how sometimes in football, the things you remember are are maybe what happened on the pitch or or who did it, but sometimes it's the things that happened around the game or off the pitch or who you were with or where you were. And I do remember strolling down the King's Road after the game with uh, my very good pal, Eugene, 
Uh, we'd been in the section of away terrace that was down the side at Stamford Bridge in those days, uh, very close to the pitch. Um, it was a hot day and a, a real humdinger of a game with a brilliant late winner that you couldn't believe it was such a great goal. I just felt a bit like we were walking on air, walking away from the ground. And I just have nice memories. It was just one of those where you think it's a good day to go and watch your team and, and feel great about the world. And it was also in an era, without we might touch on this later, where for 17 matches in a row in all competitions, Arsenal never lost to Chelsea. Those and so for days. people of a certain age, exactly. Kids, listen, it was very different. I think for young people who have had to grow up in a period where there's been quite a lot of suffering at the hands of Chelsea, um, the Arsene Wenger thousandth game is just still look back on that. And that was endurance of a type that you, you you don't want to have to go through that sort of torture. I think in football, it was harrowing stuff. But there was a time where it felt like didn't matter who was playing, didn't matter what circumstance it was, Arsenal never lost to Chelsea. So... I picked something from that period. <laughs> Do you know what? It's funny because Amy said to me, "Oh, you know, before we started this, um, it's seventeen games. We went unbeaten <laughs> against Chelsea." And I said, "Yeah." And then Didier Drogba arrived, and that was the end of that, wasn't it? Really. Um, uh, by the way, I was. Have I told you about me at that game when Nigel Winterburn scored, sitting with the Chelsea fans? Have I mentioned this? On this podcast, so. no, I actually got a ticket uh, through through um, a friend of ours who's a Chelsea fan, and I was sat um, in a in a very nice seat in the uh, main stand at Chelsea uh, next to Johnny Vaughan, and I couldn't bring myself uh, to tell him that I was a, a, an Arsenal fan. So um, when Nigel Winterburn uh, scored that winning goal, and I was right behind the flight of it as it just arrowed into the top corner, I sort of I. Well, I couldn't start swearing or, or shouting or jumping up and down. I, and I, so I just said, ah, that was that was rather a nice goal, don't you think? <laughs> I essentially turned into a middle-class football fan from the file show and got some dirty looks. Uh, I got away with it. Uh, this was uh, a while ago. Very nice moment, but I'm never sitting with the home fans ever again if you're away, because that's no fun at all. You can try out The Athletic for free for 30 days to enjoy all of James and Amy's writing on Arsenal, including their latest piece on Aubameyang's future, as well as all of David Ornstein's news stories affecting our club. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod and sign up for a 30-day free trial. James, what about you? Arsenal against Chelsea. Well, I, I liked Amy's shouts for those left-back goals, Silvino and Winterburn. In my short-lived and incredibly unsuccessful career as a Sunday League footballer, I played as a left-back. So those goals uh, <laughs> meant a lot to me. I'm looking forward to Kieran Tierney banging one in from 30 yards. Like the bullet he got the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. If he hits it as clean as that, the keeper's got no chance. But... Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, as much as I'm tempted to sort of pick a sensible win over Chelsea from the past, I actually, and I don't know if this is an appropriate opinion for a sort of grown-up journalist to have, but I keep <laughs> thinking about Abu Dhabi nearly kicking John Terry's head off. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And it, look, John Terry was fine in the end. It was all okay. So I think yeah. we're allowed that. I also remember John Terry <laughs> falling on his ass against us when we won 5-3 at Stamford Bridge. And, you know, Robin Van Persie, I think it was, broke away on that day. I enjoyed that too. Basically, episodes of John Terry's misfortune are very, very welcome in my book. I have got an, a story about a different player falling over um, 
in an Arsenal-Chelsea game. Mm. And uh, this is really juvenile, so I have to get my um, apologies in first. But... Is this also life-threatening, by the way? Because we could have chosen <laughs> life-threatening <laughs> moments know. for opposing no, it's not, players. It's, it's, it's not life-threatening, but uh, it's maybe, uh, maybe a little bit of uh, humiliation provoking. But um, Go on. Uh, uh, there was a game when it was a hybrid, when Arsenal won 2-1 and Thierry Henry scored a couple of goals. And I think at least one of them was a bit of a gift from... The, the uh, back line was, of I think. maybe, but I think that there was a sort of Desai Frank LeBeuf situation. They were obviously all in that France World Cup winning team, good friends, and neither of the Chelsea uh, defenders had a particularly comfortable afternoon against Thierry. And he scored a couple of goals, and uh, and there was definitely um, at least one of them, if not both, sort of ended up on their backside while Thierry was on uh, on his way to goal in his pomp. And I think it was that night or the night after, I ended up, cannot have any recollection of the circumstances, but at some sort of event at the French, uh, the residency of the French ambassador to England. Oh, yeah, been there many times. Of course you did. Yeah, of course yeah. you did. Right, here yeah. we go. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember what it was. It was something to do with football, <laughs> and he put on some sort of football French Anglo event. And I, I think there was, I think it was there from a work capacity, but I don't really remember. And there was a guy I knew who was also there, who was a serious Arsenal supporter. It was mischievous. And um, Frank LeBeuf was there and he proceeded to go up to Frank LeBeuf and basically fall over like Frank LeBeuf did in front of Thierry Henry and thought it was hilarious. It, maybe it loses a bit with the telling of the story. I mean, at the time it felt, as I said, very juvenile, but quite funny that in, a, in an environment like that somebody would be that much of a git to an opposition player <laughs> fair enough <laughs> what fair about enough. you Ian what's your favourite Chelsea moment? well I, I certainly enjoyed Van Persie getting a hat-trick and the 5-3 I was um, I was away I was in Cyprus actually uh, doing um, doing gigs for our returning troops we, we used to get shipped out for a week and entertain them on their way home um, give them a, give them a day a day off from Afghanistan before we put them straight on the streets of London, essentially, right. or wherever town they came from. And we'd give them a little show. And uh, during the day, Arsenal played Chelsea on the Saturday, I believe. And we were sat in a bar and there was a very... Um, there was a very annoying Chelsea fan in the bar making really awful comments about Arsene Wenger, you know, the sort of stuff that people used to say. Mm. And to to do that, for John Terry to be humiliated in that way and for me to celebrate in his face, knowing I've got the backing of the Marines <laughs> who were back at the base about a mile away, was, uh, was very pleasurable. There was one other that I remember... I can't remember what season it was at the Emirates when we played them and we we, we were winning 2-0. Ivanovic got a goal back for them and you and we thought, oh, we're going to have a bit of a wobble here. And then we basically went up the other end and Theo Walcott buried one in the bottom corner. He doesn't he didn't catch it that well that often, but he really caught it beautifully, finished the game 3-1. Uh, a friend of mine who was a Chelsea fan who was in the ground said it was the loudest roar he'd ever heard in a football ground. Now, obviously, he's a resident, regular at Stanford Bridge, so I guess he's not that much of a you know, <laughs> high bar. But, but I, I do remember that moment. Uh, I can't remember what season it was, but uh, Theo whacking one in the corner, and like I say, he really caught it on the laces, and uh, and that was a good moment because we knew we'd won the game at, at, at that point. Funny that you know we were reminiscing about all this stuff, and nobody's thrown up the you know the cup finals, for example. I know. I mean, there was one very recently and one back in 2002, 2002. that were both uh, 
very fondly recalled, I think, I'd say from an Arsenal point of view. You know what? It's true. But I guess I guess we have talked about those. You know, it's only Ray Parler and what have you. Um, I mean, actually, actually, even though we lost to them in the League Cup final in, I can't remember when, in Cardiff, and but we played the kids and we got beaten by them 2-1, but I was very proud of the boys that day for the performance they put in. I'd have preferred them, I'd have preferred Arsene Wenger to play the first team and for us to win the cup. But I remember getting a little uh, a little bit moist-eyed at the end when they came over to thank us. It all ended in a scrap, didn't it, as well? A few players were sent off. I John Obi Mikel, I think. Kolo Wenger Torre. was on the pitch with Mourinho, I think, trying to separate it. It was over nothing as well. Um, but yes, you're right, Amy. Um, we, we have had some cup final success uh, against Chelsea and hopefully some more on Saturday. Now, on another podcast, I did say that I thought it was 50-50 and I got laughed at, (laughs) essentially. Now, is that a fair point, James, to mock me for thinking that we've got a decent (laughs) Well, I think it's always fair to mock you. Yeah, it is. You know what? For that particular thing, do you think that's... But we're being um, nice to you today because Lee's, you know, it's Lee's day off. You really don't have to, you know. No, no. We'll I've try. done late shows. I've been booed <laughs> off at various places. It's okay. All right. Uh, I don't think. Well, I don't think it's a crazy thing to say. I mean, look. Obviously, Chelsea finished above us in the table, uh, and they had a better Premier League season than us. But I don't think this is a complete Chelsea team. And if you look at their defensive record, I think there are definitely vulnerabilities there. And in these big games, they're often on a knife edge. The first goal can be so so defining. And I think that that is going to be the case on Saturday. I, I'm, I'm maybe fifty-fifty is a bit strong, but I'd say you know forty-sixty, something like that. What do you think, Amy? Yeah, I think I think you're probably right, and I, I'd say that it was. Um, this is more of a fifty-fifty than the game two years ago. Mm. Uh, they were champions, yeah, I believe, weren't they? Sorry, three years ago. Yeah, three years um, ago, yes. I don't know what day it is. No mind what year. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, that, I mean, that one felt really very heavily weighted towards Chelsea. Um, so I think, you know, you could argue that maybe Arsenal can take a little bit more um, an encouragement from anything happening, vibes of cup finals uh, and knowing what can be achieved from potentially worse situations. But at the same time, they only need to look very more recently to see absolute calamity of a cup final against Chelsea. Um, hate to bring up Baku again, but, uh, you know, that was one that, I probably felt quite 50-50-ish you get as well. Did you think and that? I, I really did. I mean, I didn't think there was that much between the two teams uh, last season. I felt like Arsenal had got themselves into quite a Europa League groove. Maybe we got slightly kidded by this idea that Emery was some kind of uh, genius when it came to the Europa League, uh, specifically as if he had a magic power in that competition, because certainly the rest of what was going on didn't suggest that. No, we got some good results. Going away to Valencia and winning 4-2 or whatever it was, that was really impressive. Yeah, in Naples, um, there were some really good performances. Even the comeback against... uh, was it Wren? Wren, it French was team, Wren. Yeah. You know, where, where Arsenal were dreadful in the first game and probably should have been out and came back to have a fantastic second leg. And it was the it was the competition where they had had something going on, and particularly Aubameyang and, and Lacazette. And it just felt like, you know, although Chelsea had uh, Eden Hazard, who was obviously turned out to be very much the difference on the night to inspire them, but... Arsenal had players that could have inspired them too. And actually, I think one of the real disappointments was that Aubameyang and Lacazette didn't really have great games. Um, it wasn't only down to them, it was a pretty shoddy performance all round and maybe they didn't get a million chances. But on a, in a final where you need people to step up and 
everybody in every department's got to ideally be at their best and take those moments. It did. It 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 was a game where I think there was quite a lot in the build up about the number of goals and chances created and assists that Aubameyang and Lacazette had between them, and it felt like the firepower was there. It also felt like Arsenal, similar to this situation, had so much more to lose than Chelsea. Uh, and in the end, whether that was a negative pressure that became part of that collapse, I don't know. But you felt like Chelsea had, because they were already qualified for the Champions League, that that situation where it was a cup final, they want to go and enjoy it and do their best. And Arsenal were desperate, desperate to get back in the Champions League through that method. And... It, it, you know, it's a sad state of affairs that it's similar in a way this year. Arsenal, you know, have to do it to get back into Europe, but it's the Europa. And Chelsea already home and host in the Champions League. So they have got that advantage, Chelsea, of uh, of, of being maybe a bit more relaxed. Arsenal have got, got much more pressure on them, I think, for this final. Could that be positive at all? Like, could they? Well, I think it could under Arteta. It certainly wasn't positive under Emery because, you know, handling that pressure was not really his forte. Um, not with Arsenal anyway, it may have been for uh, previous clubs. But I think with Arteta, he's shown, uh, I mean, particularly in the in the, the semi-final and to an extent even the game before that against Sheffield United away, which is one that probably Arsenal were expected to not come up trumps in. He found a way to get the team believing in something, uh, playing to a formula that he worked out and... You know, it, it, it felt those games in many ways symbolise, I think, the best of Arteta, which is if you can take that team and get them all to play better than or the best of their ability, then you've got a chance in any game. And what was happening prior to Arteta in the tail end of Emery was that most of the players were playing worse than their ability. So he needs another one of those. He needs everybody, rather like they did against Man City, to get the plan and to have that strength of character to absolutely see it through. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. <laughs> Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools, you would hope so, wouldn't you, really, for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. So you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. Ouch! And the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20. That's EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. I mean, first things first, I'm desperate for us to win against Chelsea just so we don't have to talk about Baku anymore, if I'm honest with you, because it was a most depressing episode. I mean, obviously, I know it was worse for you, Amy, because you then had a 42-hour journey home or whatever the hell it was. Um, but the reason that I'm feeling optimistic is because, um, one, they don't have Eden Hazard. I, I mean, I'm not saying they're a worse team. They actually, I think they're more of a team. Um, but I think they have a serious, I think they have some serious defensive issues. Chelsea mates I talk to talk about how bad their defence is. And I think we've got a pretty good attack. 
if we can create some chances, James. Yeah, I mean, we all know how bad our defence is and Chelsea have conceded more goals than us this season. You know, they've conceded 54, we've conceded 48. Arsenal have lost 10 Premier League games, Chelsea have lost 12. I mean, Arsenal's story really is in, in the league is about draws. They drew 14 games this season. I think that is the highest tally in the Premier League. There's a couple of others on it, Brighton and Wolves. You know, they didn't convert enough of those into victories. But Chelsea definitely do have defensive issues. They've... They've switched it up at the back. They've, like us, they've been in a four, they've been in a three at times, and they haven't really found stability there. I mean, the question I was going to put to to you guys was, you know, we saw how Arsenal played against Liverpool and Man City. When they got those results, they were sitting in deep and they did it better against City in terms of counter-attacking and, uh, and actually making the most of those forays forward. But do you think that is the right way to play against Chelsea or are other teams on enough of a level footing that Arsenal should be a bit more proactive, a bit more aggressive and, and take the game to them. I think the biggest concern is whether Arsenal's current personnel in defence can do what, can hang on in there in the same way that uh, the team did against um, Man City and Liverpool. Uh, and I think they're going to need a bit of luck because, you know, mad as it seems to be sitting here uh, regretfully thinking about Mustafi's injury uh, I would be a lot happier with him going into this game than <laughs> what pretty much happened? any of the other centre halves, and that's the situation Arsenal are in. Because if he doesn't play, it's uh, you know if we, if you're going to play that same system, which is what gave Arsenal the platform in those other matches you talked about, James. Mm. Uh, it's either Rob Holding who still looks like he needs a f- few more games to find his rhythm, or Kolasinac, which I'm just not comfortable with as a centre back option. As far as Rob Holding is concerned, I mean, he gave away... I know David Luiz got the blame, and I suppose, fair enough, for giving away his, what was it, 19th penalty of the season or something like that. Um, But Rob Holding's pass out of defence was so poor and put us into trouble in that situation... He hasn't quite come on, has he? When you know, we were talking about the Chelsea Cup final three years ago, and what a masterful display he gave that day under the direction, I guess, of Per, uh, per Mertesacker. But he hasn't. I mean, I know he's had injuries. I absolutely understand. That. He's had a, an appalling injury. He had a serious long-term injury that takes you know a good year to try even try and get out of your system, and then some. If you don't, if you're not lucky enough to have an incredible rehab. And and then he, but when has he had? When has he had um, lots of games in a row to find his his rhythm and find his confidence? Well, maybe managers haven't vibes. trusted him, perhaps. Well, or maybe he just hasn't had the luck to get a series of matches or have a good run. You know, most players need a run in the team. If you you know, if you suddenly in and then you're out for a bit and then you get a game and then you're out, you know, it's it's much 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 harder. Surely, wouldn't you say? Well. Um, listen, we don't have a lot of choice at centre-half. Socrates seems to be persona non grata at the moment. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I I, don't really want any of them to be playing, if I'm honest with you. If we could play some system where we don't need centre-halves, that'd be great. But seeing as we're going to have to pick some, um, maybe Socrates could, could take over the um, dive-in role that uh, Mustafi would uh, would do. He'd be diving into first team football to be honest because he's not he's played I think one minute since the restart. Um so it would be a hell of a risk to to put him back in there but I understand you toying with the idea because it is kind of I mean it's the least you're trying to find the least worst option aren't you? Arsenal <laughs> this club with loads of center halves none of whom are particularly convincing. 
Hi there, I'm David Ornstein and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. If we are looking at our defence and going, do you know what, we we obviously need Mustafi to be in there to give us our, say, first choice defence. If we haven't got that, perhaps we should go a bit more gung-ho and go at them and try and score more goals than they do. Maybe. I mean, our front three, I think, have shown some really positive signs in the last few weeks. Aubameyang, we know what a remarkable goal scorer he is, I think. Pepe's been a little bit better. Lacazette, his form has picked up. He's done well, Lacazette, recently, I feel. I think yeah. he's got a bit more about him now. And he'll play against Chelsea, certainly, and he'll be given a very... I mean, if we do play like we did against Liverpool, like we did against City, he'll be the guy who's sort of tasked to close down Jorginho in the midfield to make sure that he doesn't get any time on the ball and, and put in that sort of defensive work from the front um, with Aubameyang and Pepe either side. I mean... I do think we can hurt this Chelsea team. You know, that you look at the centre of their defence, it's not massively convincing. In goal, it's going to be Caballero. Uh, I'd rather it was Kepa, to be honest, but it's going to be Caballero. Um, <laughs> You'd rather it was the £72 million goalkeeper. Yeah, which says something about his form. Uh, Caballero's decent, but not spectacular. Uh, he's no Emmy Martinez, as we might say. Um, so, yeah, I mean, listen, maybe it's just sort of... Um, the wild optimism of a cup final. But I do think that Arsenal maybe should be a little bit more forthcoming on the, in the attacking sense in this game than they were against those top, top, top sides. I don't think Chelsea are of that calibre. And I think if they, I think if you let them have the ball in our territory, I think that's where they're going to hurt you. Players like, you know, Pulisic or, or Willian, you know, Mason Mount to an extent. I mean, that is where, and of course, Olivier Giroud, who's in fantastic form, Sod's Law going into the final. Uh, that's, I think, where they're they're going to hurt us. Amy, I mean, is your view that maybe we should um, we should come at them a little bit more than we did against, say, Manchester City? I think that uh, Arteta is the guy who I totally trust to decide if we play with the formula that he likes, and then fit the personnel around it or play with the personnel he prefers and fit the formula around it. And he's got to make that call, and I think he'll make the right one. Um, I don't want to make that one. I think I'll try to leave that to him. But there is, of course, one other option um, if, if if he does want to play that back three, and that's putting Kieran Tierney in uh, as the left-sided centre-back. Um, you know, he, he is the best defender at the club at the minute, really. And then you can put either Saka or Maitland-Niles or whatever as a slightly more advanced wing-back type role. So there are there are things he can do. So that's why I maintain he's got to look at who's around, uh, how his plan uh, would best work. Um, I mean, he's had two, he had two matches. Remember, Arsenal played Chelsea extremely quickly when he, he arrived uh, at the club. And should have won um, that game as well, shouldn't we? we won yeah, it was it was uh, it, it was a, a really promising performance in lots of ways, and 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 the, although the result didn't go well, I think most people came away from that thinking Arsenal had really taken that that game to Chelsea and shown a bit more about themselves against one of the top teams, and then very soon afterwards had the game at Stamford Bridge back in January uh, where they played. You know, David Lees was sent off on 26 minutes and they played for over an hour with 10 men uh, and came back twice uh, in the match. 
and showed incredible appetite and character and also could have won that game too. I mean, there was there were ch- other chances uh, on the counter-attack. Yeah. That was a, a phenomenal game. Um, but I don't know whether, whether he would have learned things from them, but they've been close matches. They've not been, you know, you go back to your it's 50-50, uh, how much you should have been mocked concept, <laughs> uh, Stoney. Yeah. You know, t- two games have both been really tight pretty so, pretty close our goalkeeper made a mistake remember in the first game Bern Leno came out for a ball he was never going to get and it floated over his head um, so you know I, I, I don't I really don't think there's a huge amount in it and I do look at their defence and I do look at our attack but we've talked about chance creation on this on this programme many many times I said programme show podcast whatever uh, we've talked about it on this uh, pod many many times we don't create a huge amount of chances what Aubameyang has done with the tiny amount of chances um, that he's had is is nothing short of incredible you've uh, James you wrote a piece which Amy uh, contributed to with David Ornstein as well uh, about uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and it's really should he stay or should he go. But there's a lot of points you made uh, about him but one of those is is how amazingly he's done on scraps, really. Yeah, he really has feasted on scraps and, you know, (laughs) it feels telling to me that in recent weeks some of his goals have come off him capitalising off defensive mistakes, closing people down. You know, because there just hasn't been a huge amount of creation from this Arsenal team. And it's actually borne out in the statistics in a really interesting way. Um, so I've actually got these numbers in front of me now. But basically, last season, his XG per 90. So the amount of sort of good, the amount you'd expect him to score based on the chances he got was 0.77. Nearly, you know, three quarters of a goal per game. This season, it's 0.47. So for him to be scoring at the rate he has, given that, is a testament to his finishing ability, frankly, because he's massively outperforming the chances he's given. And uh, I think, obviously, this final is... uh, There's a lot at stake for Arsenal because it's whether or not they qualify for European competition. But I also think there might be a certain amount of stake with regards to Aubameyang's future. He's never won a major European trophy, you were saying. He's never won a major European trophy. He's never won a league title, which for a player of that calibre is pretty unusual and something you might think he would want to address in the time that is left to him. Um, None of that is to say he's unhappy at Arsenal. Everything we understand is that he's got a great relationship with Arteta. You know, he loves the life here. He's got a good relationship with his teammates. He enjoys his role as captain. But if you've never won one of those medals, you know, he was chasing that gold boot. On uh, on Sunday, as it was against uh, who are we playing again? Watford. But if he, you know, he'd swap a golden boot surely for a, a league winning medal, and Arsenal can't offer him that right now. No, and then he's not going to win the title with us. I mean, unless he plays till he's forty. Yeah, I think that's realistic. So, Amy, it, that being said, um, I mean, I imagine there's a lot going through his head. Does it not really depend on which clubs come in for him? I guess so. Um, but I mean, I think what James says really resonates. And I remember looking at him in Baku at the end of the game, he really caught my eye and he really looked quite dazed. And I think, you know, but for both Lacazette and, and Aubameyang, but particularly Aubameyang, um, they've really not won very much in their career. And, and, and to be at that age uh, where time is slightly beginning to tick, it is, you know, I think they really felt they really felt the pain of 
what happened in Baku because they were so desperate, A, for silverware and a medal, and B, to get back in the Champions League at this point of their career. So I agree with James fully. I think that um, there's a, a kind of, like most of these things, there's two big imperatives, sort of like almost the good angel and bad angel or whatever on your shoulders. Uh, and on one side, it's what's my best contract and what's my best way financially of looking after the people I care about and, you know, get being as best set for the best of our, for the rest of our lives as possible. And on the other side is, you know, where's the place where I'm most likely to get success. And I, and I think that's probably a bit of, probably a bit of an internal wrestling match going on there because it may well be that actually um, he will command a transfer fee for sure if he goes this summer. And it will be not insubstantial because he's one of only four, I think, players in the world who in the last five years in Europe's major league have scored more than 20 goals. And the only other ones are Messi, Ronaldo and Lewandowski. So there's not really much dispute about his quality. He's in very, very elite company. I do think that it's going to take money and that sometimes comes away from your contractual package, especially in this post-COVID world. He might not get the mega wages if someone's got to pay a reasonably substantial fee for him. But at Arsenal, if there's no fee, they can presumably up his uh, package quite generously. So I think it may be that his best financial uh, decision would be to stay, but that might not be his best sporting motive. I mean, I, I just think it's it's instructive about his professionalism. And I know people sort of question that a little bit. When he was at Dortmund, he was a slightly difficult character. But the fact that he's had this stuff going on in his head this season, contract, should he stay, should he go, and to produce the level of performance that he's produced is really quite something. Yeah, I think you're so right, because as, as Arsenal fans, we know what it looks like when a player's headed for the door, I think. I think yes. we recognise the body language. We recognise, <laughs> yes. you know, some of those frustrations spilling out. I think we've seen it in a lot of cases in the past. And I'm not, not, I'm, I'm not criticising even those players because I kind of understand it. You know, once you're psychologically in a different place, I think it is difficult for your performance to, to match up. But never from Aubameyang. And actually... His his figures that they monitor in training, in games, his physical exertion is outstanding. For a player of his age, it's even the more remarkable because he's right at the top of all those scales as far as Arsenal are concerned. Um, his commitment has been absolutely fantastic. And also his diligence in playing a role that isn't his favourite role. Something else that... Um, all the coaches talk about with Aubameyang is his tactical intelligence. You know, he's a guy who started his career playing in Italy and I think that stayed with him. He's got an understanding that he puts the team first. What is going to be fascinating in the next couple of weeks is whether that continues or whether he thinks I need to put myself first at this point in my career and think about my goals. And, you know, I think there is real cause for optimism at Arsenal. They, they seem to feel confident that they can find an agreement there I think it would be excellent for the club because if you look at what it will cost to keep Aubameyang over the next four years I don't think Arsenal can find a player of that calibre who's going to have equivalent productivity for anything like that money so yeah from my perspective I really hope he stays yeah, well, I think I think we'd all agree uh, there. Even though I was on this podcast not four or five weeks ago and saying if we have to sell one player to fund 
some uh, rebuilds elsewhere mm. because we do also need a bit of help in defence and midfield. But if we um, win the FA Cup and get into the Europa League, maybe that cash will become available. I just want to ask, by the way... Um, we were all expressing, I've been talking to various Arsenal fans this week, all expressing our sort of upset that we can't go. Are either of you going to the game uh, at the weekend? I think I'm going. You're I going, going, James. Yeah. You're representing all of us, you know that. I know, I know. Are you allowed to wear colours? <laughs> I <laughs> wouldn't have thought so. I wouldn't no. have thought so. Maybe underneath my... It depends how you define colours, exactly. Well, That's true. A big red rosette. Without giving too much away. <laughs> I could I could I could find room for a yellow ribbon, probably. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Where? Well, <laughs> there's no need. That's a very personal Not question. in my hair, certainly not. <laughs> no, but you so you're going. Okay. Well that's because I'm quite upset. I haven't missed many cup finals over the last forty years. And um and I would have loved this one, even with all the nonsense of getting to and from Wembley and queuing for an hour and a half afterwards at a train station. Uh, Amy, you won't be going then, I'm assuming? I think um, it was a kind of a, a, a toss-up um, from what, James and I. You guys? And I was happy for James to take the athletic pass. No, I mean, it, it will be strange. I mean, it's a real shame, isn't it? Because cup finals are about the experience and the day. And this will feel distinct from that. Um uh, yeah, I'm fascinated to know, you know, how that, there is that kind of intensity about a cup final. I just kind of wonder, will that be present without the fans and the occasion more? I think so, because I, th- I think the players have, have got quite used to it, to creating that for themselves. Yeah, I maybe. Mean, it felt like it was there I, I, against there was, City. This guess, is it. I mean, honestly, definitely. watching that semi-final against Man City, I, I almost would say, I not, not forgot that the fans weren't there. That would be stupid, but... It definitely was not a big part of the picture. I think it's a massive part of the picture if you win the cup. And I think we've seen it in some of the playoff finals and things like that or, or promotion or whatever. And there's actually something um, specific that has been achieved by a team, but they can't celebrate it with their fans. That's just so weird. But for, for the duration of the match itself, for the 90 minutes, uh, I think we've seen enough of how football has been since the restart, that the big games are something on the line. You have that tension, you have that adrenaline, um, and I think the players have not shown a lack of tempo or appetite or pressure because of it, which is to their massive credit. Yeah, I think it's I think it's built up actually. I mean, I watched the first game behind closed doors. I think Villa were playing, and there wasn't a lot of tempo, and it felt very odd. But certainly watching the Man City game. Uh, and the Liverpool one as well. I, I was as and the Sheffield United Cup quarter final. I was as connected as I as I have been without with the fans there as well. So I hope people feel the same way on uh, Saturday. One thing I actually really liked was I don't know if you saw when Liverpool were presented with the Premier League trophy. I think it was after the game against Chelsea. Couldn't watch it, but okay. <laughs> fair enough. But. Uh, and I don't say this with any great love for Liverpool. I kind of saw it and thought, I wonder if it'll be quite muted. You know, they'll sort of gently lift the trophy and sort of, you know, bow their head or whatever. But they really, really went for it. And it felt like there was a sense of our fans aren't here, but we're absolutely going to celebrate as if they were. And it's as much for the supporters as anything. And, you know, if you're a Liverpool fan watching that through the telly, you don't want to see them not going for it, not enjoying it. And, if Arsenal win on Saturday, you know, I hope there is that kind of carnival atmosphere because, you know, we that's how we'll all be at home. So hopefully that'll be reflected in the stadium. I think the players 
playing in the last few months uh, behind closed doors have really f fully realised how much they need the fans. David Luiz said it, I think, in an interview. And so I think that those celebrations will be just as powerful as if we were there. I was just going to say, uh, James, we're banking on you for the pitch invasion. <laughs> OK, I'll do my best. I've lost some of my fitness uh, over lockdown, so stewards will chase me down very quickly. Take, but... Maybe they have as well, though. Maybe True. it'll just be a slower chase altogether. Yeah. <laughs> a slow-mo pitch invasion. Slow-mo pitch invasion. Yeah, I, I would like to see that. And um, I'd also like to see uh, Frank Lampard swearing at our bench for celebrating too loudly as well. That would be quite uh, fun as well. Harry's sponsors Handbrake Off, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. And now by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. As a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash handbrake off right now. That's harrys.com forward slash handbrake off. Next week, we are going to do uh, a review of the season. If you can bear it, uh, Amy has written a piece. I mean, Amy, there's one thing you wanted to talk about this week, uh, I think, out of that piece. And there's it, quite a lot of beautiful stuff, uh, which we can discuss in detail next week. And hopefully you'll be around. Uh, but there was one thing you wanted to talk about in this piece. Yeah, um, I mean, it's normal to have a, a kind of season review thing where you analyse all the sort of best, worst and oddest moments and so on. Um, and uh, after the final Premier League game and everything was done and dusted on that front, I put a tweet out sort of in the spirit of these season reviews saying, well, that's that then. What was your favourite moment of the season? Uh, I think I'll go for Martinelli's goal Chelsea scenes we're talking about these uh, these goals against Chelsea that just felt like a really symbolic moment I think I sometimes feel with when you're trying to analyze great goals or best goals or favorite goals it's always so subjective um but for me personally as well as the actual quality of the goal it's something about what it means that is usually important um and they just it, it felt almost like a an incredible relief when he did that because it was like after all the uh, all the sort of depression, really, of the latter Emery period, uh, all the worry and all the problems, that there was this something new to believe in and, and getting Arteta in to have such a difficult situation to go away from home where Arsenal are usually rubbish, have someone sent off really early and come back with this kid who ran the length of the pitch like he was born to do it, um, and you saw the fans in, in the away end absolutely losing it uh, in, in the way where sometimes a goal just uh, prompts an explosion that's just that little bit more intense than normal. Uh, because I think everybody recognised that it was like something good is around the corner and it felt like it symbolised that, like a, a kind of unshackling of the really difficult period under under Emery. Um Anyway, I asked people what their favourite moment was. And in a completely unscientific Twitter way, I'd say an approximate recount was about 80% of people replied, 
when Emery left. And I thought that was really telling. I mean, it's not against the guy individually, but a lot of people's first reaction to, you know, best moment in season or the, the moment that they remember most was ending that particular experience and, and experiment that had gone so badly wrong towards the end. So, yeah, I, I, again, going into a cup final uh, with Arteta versus going into the same opponent cup final a year ago with Emery, I don't know about you guys, but it it does feel slightly different, even though Emery did have that great track record in the Europa League behind him, which sort of gave people a an extra sense that this guy knows what he's doing in this competition. He's the man and he should be able to sort it out. But somehow I think the way that the team respond to Arteta, some, something about the way that Arteta presents uh, the whole non-negotiables thing, you know, I don't think he ever seems overawed or scared by a situation, whereas somehow em- there was always seemed like a, a, a little bit of fear sometimes with Emery. You couldn't quite trust that, like, this is the man and exactly what he says, you do that and you should be okay. It, it never quite got to that point. So if there's anything looking ahead to Saturday, I think things do feel slightly different. Could end up dreadfully, who knows? But... I still think whatever the result, one thing I will take away from this season is the feeling that at least Arsenal have found the right guy moving forward. Quite, quite. Uh, let's have... Um, James, do you have anything to add to that or do you, or should we just do a song particularly? Yeah, not much to add really. I mean, uh, just only to say that Unai Emery's now turned up at Villarreal, hasn't he? And uh, as he arrives, Santi Cazorla leaves. So don't worry, we don't have to cheer them on anymore. Oh man, that's just upset me thinking of Santi. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> uh, one of those things. Let's have a song, James, before we leave. Um, tricky one, really, because I didn't know how it's going to go. I actually went for a song by a Chelsea fan um, in Suggs, but I went for Our House because Wembley has been our house recently and I'd like it to continue. I like the way you're thinking, but James. Uh, Amy? I completely forgot that we had to choose a song. I'll fill in. For I'll this fill podcast. in. You don't have to, right? I'm gonna. Uh, I'm having. Um, I'm, I'm having... just quickly googling songs about praying, <laughs> and it's not really coming up with the right kind Madonna. of songs. Madonna, like come prayer, on, like yeah. a prayer, surely. If we could, we could have, but I'm having right, K. Yeah. by the way. I'm having the Doris Day version. I just love it. Uh, mm. But we're going to Wembley. We not us. Well, James is going to Wembley. Uh, but we're but the boys, our boys, are going to Wembley, and we wish them well uh, on uh, Saturday afternoon at that classic FA Cup final kickoff time of whatever it is, four thirty-seven or something. Amy, have you got one? I thought you forced me into like a prayer, but uh, <laughs> oh, you can have no, like a prayer if you want. I, I, I think um, I think uh, and then I'm now I'm trying to think about songs about revenge right. after backing I, I went down but that I'm not route. sure that did you, did yeah, you but what, what we all couldn't, couldn't come James? up with anything really revenge there's a lot really? of bre- sort of angry breakup songs you know yeah, yeah. Alanis Morissette you ought to know yeah. yeah that sort of stuff <laughs> yes um, alright no Love. I think Kesara Sarra is completely yeah, appropriate Wembley guys come on cup final on Saturday uh, thank you to uh, Amy thank you to James thank you to Tom as well who produced uh, this week while Tao is stuck in no Wi-Fi purgatory we'll be back after the final game of the season uh, thank you very much for listening I'm Ian Stone see you soon
será What will be 